Good morning. Ah, good morning. May we check the microphone back there? And good morning. There we are. Good morning. We are in a series looking at Jesus. We are taking this time to prepare ourselves as we are heading towards Easter. Because we get caught up in a lot of planning, a lot of activity, a lot of things, and miss Jesus. So we are gathering over and over and over and over again to remember him, to focus on him, to draw closer to him. And so today, in the passage we're going to be looking at, we have the opportunity to learn from Jesus as he brings clarity to his followers. I hope that today's uh, the scripture will allow you to understand who Jesus is better, what he's doing, and who really allows us to know him. We are going to be looking at Matthew 16, 13 to 20. So Jesus is bringing clarity to his followers then, and I hope and pray, and going to pray, that he's bringing clarity to his followers here today. Heavenly Father, we come into this space wanting to know you. We want to know who you are, what you're doing, what that means in our lives as individuals, our lives as a community, in our time, in our age, and wherever we find ourselves with employment, retirement, education, Lord, help us know what your kingdom looks like in each one of these moments. Bring clarity through your scripture to us, Lord, today. Bring clarity through my, my time sharing, Lord. I ask that your, your words become clearer and clearer and mine fall off to the side. Lord, we commit this time to you, and we hope to know you better as we look in your word. Amen. So Matthew 16, 13 to 20. When, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for you, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So today we are looking back at this conversation around who is Jesus. Jesus took this time when he's walking with his disciples to allow them to know him better. He, he paused with them. He took an opportunity to say, hey, who do people think I am? We have the same questions today in our culture, in our day and age. And if you've ever heard of C.S. Lewis, he actually had the same questions in his time and his age. We are not entering into a new story in our culture, in our lives. We're actually partnering with all of history, where we keep asking, who is Jesus? For some, you might have friends that look at Jesus and say, that guy's a myth. 
You might have friends that look at him and say, like, he's a good teacher, but he's actually kind of overrated. You might have others who like the idea of Jesus, but they really say he's a bit of a delusion. We don't quite get who he is. It's overhyped. Or maybe the people look at the followers of Jesus today and say that we are the deluded ones. So C.S. Lewis, when he was dealing with the exact same questions, he, he pondered and he came up with that, when you look at Jesus, you will either see a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He argues that uh, in order to make sense of a man that claims to have authority to forgive sins, or a man behaving as if he was the one that was chiefly responsible or chiefly offended by sins. He says that in order to make sense of this, of a man who claimed to exist always, or a man that claims to be coming back to do justice and to be the judge at the end of time, you either fall into those three categories. You fall into believing that Jesus is either a liar, and none of that is true. A lunatic where he thinks it's true, but it's not. Or you believe that he is Lord. But I have noticed something actually different in our culture today, that those are all still realities, but we actually have a, a shifting going on. It, it's more clearly seen, I would say, in like kind of the modern liberal theology, but it's always been around. People like to see Jesus as malleable. Right? You, you would look at him and you'd say, Gumby Jesus. If you are too young to identify that, you might be like looking at Plato Jesus. Not the philosopher, like the, the squishy kid's toy. Plato Jesus. What it means is that you can pick and choose or you can bend it around whatever you need him to, to bend around. So you look at Jesus and you look at your story, you look at your own political, social, whatever agendas, and you say, his teaching fits. Oh, we'll celebrate this Jesus. It works here. I am so happy with it. We'll bend it around my life, my habits, my way. Said more clearly, you look at his justice and you say, that's great. I love that Jesus. You look at his take on community, like we are a community. We're like, oh, we love that he's for one another and connection. But then you get to things like a sexual ethic, and you say, you know what, I'll pass. Or you get to the other passages that say, like, you got to lay down your life. Actually, I'm quite happy with my life. I'll pass on that as well. How about where you, you die to yourself? Oh, actually, I'm for the self-actualizing, where I am more vibrantly alive in myself in all ways. But you circle back around, and you see this love thing. You're like, oh, I'm a fan of love. That's, that's great. I will take that. And then you decide, you know what, I will push myself a little bit. And, and it's kind of trendy to be a person that has a life of prayer. So life of prayer will fit. That will work for me. But this isn't a new challenge. If you actually look at church history, you'll see that over and over again, people who follow Jesus in some way don't follow him fully. That they, they find Gumby Jesus and they bend him to their will, to their desire. So Maybe they're doing it intentionally, maybe they're not. Maybe you are doing it intentionally, maybe you aren't. But today we are looking at Jesus is not a Gumby Jesus or Plato Jesus. He's something very different. The challenge is in our culture with this hyper-information is that there's a scholarly trend towards Gumby Jesus. 
where we can make the argument of him being whatever we want him to be, and we can now find some great scholars that will agree on every degree that we want it to. And so we are able to convince ourselves that this Gumby Jesus is a true Jesus. And what's challenging more is that they use this very passage to shape the entire idea. This, this passage I've come across a few times in my studies, and I keep finding people looking at this passage saying, Jesus comes to Peter and say, who am I? Kind of like the, um, uh, what's the movie? You know the one, uh, who am I? Oh, um, Zoolander, there we go. Zoolander, who am I? Like he's lost, adrift somehow, looking for Peter to give him the direction for his life. And yet we have scholars that write in a way that say, like, oh, when Jesus is asking that, he's asking you for, for you to give the direction of who he is to you in this way, in this place. But it's challenging if you carry on in the passage. That's not exactly what Jesus is doing at all. Jesus isn't looking for us to understand who he is. He's looking for or looking for him to understand who we think he is. He's looking for us to understand who he actually is. So this passage is not about Jesus learning. It's actually about us learning. But Jesus is once again not confused by this. He's experienced time and time again people thinking he's someone he's not. Right? We have another passage in Matthew 13, 55. You can look it up later. Where the people look at Jesus and they say, isn't this a carpenter's son? Like he has no right to be doing any of these changing things. He should be building us a chair. Right? Jesus is constantly being confused for someone he's not. But the one thing he is not confused about at all is who he is. See, Jesus comes here and he helps us understand. He turns to the disciples and say, who do you say I am? And you see Peter respond, as he always does. He's always the first one out of the gate. Verse 16. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now to complicate it a little bit more, Peter also knew Jesus as friend, rabbi, or, or teacher, as a fellow Israelite. He knew Jesus as a caring person. He knew Jesus as a healer. He knew Jesus even as a revolutionary. Right? Peter was willing to pull out a sword and fight a guy. But when pressed, Peter exclaimed, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And I think we find something here. Right? Who Jesus is, in a world of confusion where they want to think of him just as a good man, or a good teacher, or a good Jew, or a not-so-good Jew, like depending on what you take on him, or a good social justice warrior, you name whatever shape or form you have seen Jesus be, Jesus is even more. We are all growing in the knowledge of Jesus here. Right? We will all continue to draw deeper and closer in a relationship to him. And I think the deeper we know him, we will see him in different ways. We will see him as a healer. We will see him as a teacher. We will see him as a friend. We will see him as a warrior. All that is not wrong. That's actually quite true. But they are not the summation of who Jesus is. The, the summation of who Jesus is is king of kings. Jesus is the third person of the triune God. And every other sphere you've seen him under or heard him under falls under that summation. Jesus is the Messiah. Right? Every experience you have had or haven't had or somebody else has had falls under that title. 
So in this passage, we see Jesus brings clarity. And one of the challenges is that this clarity is not always what we want to hear. Right? We may not want to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord above Lords, the triune person of God. He also brings up a challenge to our ego, I'd say, in this, or our pride, is that we don't control being known or knowing Jesus. If you look at Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. All right, does this not bring up a reality that you don't really like? You can say you love it, but for a lot of us, we want to be able to control Jesus. That's why he becomes Gumby Jesus. We want to have authority over who Jesus is and how he applies. But here Jesus is not discovered by rationalism, historicityism, systemism, right? Our minds get us to a point of understanding, absolutely. I'm not throwing those all out. But the understanding of him is not going to be revealed by flesh and blood. If you like apologetics, or if you like deeper thinking and philosophy stuff, you likely have heard of the name of Jordan Peterson. Nods, anybody? I'll send a link later if you... All right, so Jordan Peterson is, is a pretty smart guy, I'll give him that. And he looks at Christianity, and he says there's great value and virtue in, in the Christian tradition. He looks at what it offers to society and says, that is good. But he admits that there is a logical scientific problem to him believing it all to be true. He looks at it and says the values and all the things are necessary but even in his great intellect and his ability to you know, break down every argument in kind of amazing ways, he does not cross that line. He does not say Jesus is Lord. And so we have this challenge that Jesus isn't just about virtues, Jesus isn't just about practices, but that he is much, much more. And so all this stuff that Jesus is, these parts that we have named, are true. And yet the center of who Jesus is is often hidden. We can't talk people into seeing the center. We can't argue them into seeing who Jesus truly is. We can't even trick them. We can't make them say the prayer, now they know. Like, we don't have the ability to do that. We can try to make Jesus known. We try to create spaces where you can explore. But what it comes down to is that God is the one who reveals who Jesus is. And that's hard for us, where we want to have the systematic approach or the historical way to like, get everybody in. But intellectualism is not going to save us. Intellectualism isn't what makes Jesus who he is. The good news is that God is on the move, and that God is revealing himself to creation. That he has moved, and we can point to historical moments and help people unpack who Jesus was in history, or the arguments of whatever. Those are absolutely helpful and valuable things in understanding Jesus. But time and time again, the center is hidden. It is only by the work of the Father and the Spirit that Jesus is possibly to be known. And then it's challenging because you look at Jesus, and he is also how you know that the Spirit can be known and the Father can be known, because they are a triune God working with and for one another, proclaiming their glory. We, we get to be the hands and the feet in the place. We get to be ears and, and hearts in the neighborhood. We get to be voices of truth and conduits of mercy 
But we, you, I, in ourselves cannot save. That is not ours. We cannot change people's understanding. We can offer information, we can offer opportunity, but the transformation comes from God. As we head towards Easter Sunday, a Sunday where we would love to see people taking a step forward into truly knowing Jesus. We don't want them just to know him as a good man. We don't want them to just know him as a good teacher or a good moral leader or a social revolutionary. Our heart is for them to know the true Messiah, Jesus. And what we need to have is God doing his work. We know that God's heart is open. We can see that through history. We can see that through all the logical arguments that we have. But if we try to do the work of God, we will fail every time. This past week, I was reading. There you go. No, no celebration on that? Come on. <laughs> all right. I was reading a book. There you go. Yep. And it was telling a story. And I found this story actually to be helpful even in my, my approach to everything. There was a church that was wanting to reach students. Who doesn't? This church is like, oh, we've never done this before. So how do we do it? Was their first step to just go like marketing campaign? Was their first step to you know, plant inside something? They, they're like, all right, well, we know we want to have a Bible study. So they're like, all right, what do you do to start a Bible study on campus? Yeah, you're, you're, you come up with all kinds of logical options. Good, you're part of our planning of our outreach teams. Good. Uh, but their story went differently. The pastor, much wiser than I, explained to them some passages. He highlighted to his team two scriptures. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Romans 3, 10 to 11. And no one can know me, Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6, 44. Is that a good motivational passage to be giving to your team that wants to reach people? No. So this team, you know, looking at this passage is trying to figure out what do we do with this? And they started to realize that they just got to be praying. They first need to be praying that this, this is something God is doing. God wants to reach his people, and you can see, yes, the answer is yes, but let's just hear God. And then what they realize is that if this is going to happen, God's going to be doing the work. So the pastor encouraged them to approach this openly, to go out into the campus, to go around places, to go to their classes, and listen. Seek what God is doing. Find how God is moving and respond to that. And when, when that happens, cancel your afternoon. Right? That's blasphemy in a lot of our work. Yeah, all right. So these, these students went there. They, they went around the campus. They were doing their classes. And one of the students reported that she had been in class with this one student for over two years. And this student came up to her and said, I think you might be a Christian. I need to talk to you. Right? It doesn't really sound like our strategy that we came up with, right? But she came up to her and said, I think you may be a Christian. I need to talk to you. And so she said, yeah, I am a Christian. What, what do you want to talk about? Well, actually... A bunch of girls in my dorm have been gathering for a number of weeks now, reading the Bible. None of us are Christians. We don't know what we're doing. We're wondering, you know where this is going, would you or anybody be willing to lead us in a Bible study? The answer is yes. 
So she brings the story back to the pastor, and they, they find a way to support this growth of what God is doing there. They end up having, within like no time, three other Bible studies going, one in the men's dorm and, and two in the girls. And this wasn't because they had a great strategy. Actually, they had an amazing strategy, but not the one that they came up with. They realized that God is at work, and they wanted to partner with what he was doing on the campus. See, God is at work, and he is doing the heavy lifting. But as he's working, we still get to be part of this. And this is where I think he also brings clarity. Is that one, if we are praying, we can know what he's doing. We can be sensitive to that. Maybe even the prayer is more not, God, will you work? But God, help me see or hear or attend to what you are doing in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my household, wherever it is. And the other one is to be sensitive to the spirit. When it tells you, when he moves in a moment, he says, cancel your afternoon, you follow. An obedience plan here. God still has a plan A, and that is for his local church to be part of the inbreaking kingdom on earth. And what's challenging with that is that it's very inconvenient, isn't it? That there's going to be a moment where God is going to interrupt your week. Uniquely, after reading this story, I was praying in the morning. I said, oh, God, I'd love for you to interrupt my day, right? That's great. So guess what? He did in a beautiful way. I was going to pick up some cupcakes, and yeah, right, so far so good, sold. And while I was there, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be great if I run into you? Sure enough, that person was on that street walking down towards me. We had a great conversation. It wasn't my plan, I was getting cupcakes, but the opportunity and what was just sensed in my spirit from the Holy Spirit, that there's something here that's about to happen, and it did. What is even more cool is that person said that they were in a conversation right before that, and that conversation just fell dead. Like, they were chatting, and then like, it just like awkwardly ending, I don't know what I'm gonna do, okay, I'm gonna go this way now, kind of scenario. And then looking back, they can see that, yeah, actually God interrupted that conversation for our moment to happen. God is at work, and we get to partner with him. See, our expectations when we go about our lives, maybe part of the challenge is that we may settle our expectations to meeting or hearing from God here or in a Bible study or in our community group. And we say, God, these are the times I expect you. And so maybe today, one of the challenges in our community is changing our expectations of Jesus. Is that he wants to be active in our lives, in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our homes, wherever you roam. And that we expect the Spirit to be guiding us. I think in a few weeks when we have the Hearing God uh, series, I think that will be very helpful. It's not just pressure on you guys now, change all your expectations. We want to support that as well. But in the six-week Hearing God seminar, I, I think it's going to be an opportunity for us to start hearing God differently. Allowing him to speak in different ways than we have known. Finding community that will help us discern, because that's also part of the story discern what God is saying, what he's not saying. And so I'm optimistic and excited for that as a community as we continue to move to be ones that respond to the Spirit as it leads. So in this, we see that Jesus also brings clarity in this passage to the one who reveals, which we don't overly love, but also to what he is doing. And so I want to unpack this in the last little bit that we have here. Matthew 16, verse 18. I will build my church, 
and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus is the one that is building. It's challenging because we're also like, but isn't he the cornerstone? Isn't he just like the stationary thing we build on top of? That's Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. But Jesus is a cornerstone and the builder. And so he wants to make this clear. And if you look at what the word church here is in the Greek, it's ekklesia. And the roots of that is like called out or a gathering of people from houses or a called out assembly of people. So Jesus is saying here that he will build his gathered people or that he will build his assembly of people. And this might be challenging to us who are on the far side of Christendom where when we hear Jesus say church, he's like, oh yeah, the plan was to have a building with a steeple and an institution and a religion. But that's not what Jesus was building. Jesus was building an ecclesia, a people called and gathered together. And as you see this throughout the rest of scripture, you also see that he's calling the church. It's also called a body, a connective tissue of organic material living out in a place and space over history. And that is what Jesus is building. While he has been a part of a system, while he has been part of buildings, while he has been a part of a lot of these things, it's ultimately not his plan to have a building on every street corner, but his followers, the called out ones in every neighborhood. Jesus is calling us to be part of the living out of his kingdom. Uh, you may have heard me use this. I use it as often as I can. Is We then, as, as the ones that are called out, we as the church have the opportunity to look at what heaven is and backfill. We get to see the justice, the mercy, the love, the joy, the peace, all that, and we get to say, may it be here. May it be in Stanley Park as it is in heaven. May it be in my neighborhood as it is in heaven. May it be in my household as it is in heaven. And that is where we get to live is a posture seeking to see heaven backfilled, eternity lived into now. And Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples to say nothing about him being a Messiah. That's another challenging part. We won't get into that today, but we're going to look at this just one more moment. Is that Jesus wants the kingdom to be real, to be relevant, and present. He wants it to be in our sport places, our homes, in the conflicts we find, and in the conflicts we make. Right? We are not perfect people. He also wants us to be like, oh shoot, I have started a conflict. Now let's find a way to backfill eternity into this. Right, Jesus comes here, and the work that he did on the cross that we're going to be looking more at Easter Sunday means that the gates of hell will not stand. He doesn't say, oh, I get 50-50 chance in everything you do. No, he said, the kingdom of God is coming here, and all things will fall away. That his kingdom is being established in this place. And here's the keys to the kingdom, and you can live into it now. And so as we see in Acts 2, the spirit descends on the church. Not the building. He doesn't live here. But into the church, the called out people that he has gathered to himself. And we see that the spirit is partnering with us, with you, in all these places. And this works us back to the question, who do you say Jesus is? As a follower of Jesus, we will experience him as a friend, as a caregiver, as a healer, as a leader, as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a 
Jewish guy. We will experience him in so many different facets in our life. But when you're pressed, when you build your life, when you gather as a church, do you see Jesus as Messiah, Lord, Savior, Anointed One? Jesus is calling all people, all of creation, to himself. And it's not our job to convince people. It's not our job to have the best arguments while there's value there. Our job is to say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I am open to wherever you lead. In whatever way you are moving, guide me by your spirit. Be present to me. Allow me to be healed and experience eternity now. But I want to be a part of your called out people. Because Jesus, you are Lord. So this week, I would challenge you, encourage you to take time and process some of your story of who Jesus is to you. Don't rush past healer. Don't rush past friend. Name those realities because he loves you. But work it further. Work it deeper. Allow yourself to see Jesus not as someone that you bend around your life, but one that you ultimately will bend your knee before. One that is calling you to be one of his people, living out his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Allow me to pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask for your spirit to be with us this week. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our day-to-day, our moment-by-moment. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your peace. We ask for your guidance. But we ask mostly is clarity on Jesus. Lord, where we do not believe, help us believe. Where we can't quite see the center, bring clarity. Lord, we ask that this week that you allow us to see Jesus. We ask that we get to look into his face and say, Jesus, I know others say other things about you, but I call you Messiah. I call you friend. Lead me, Lord. Guide me. Heal me. Restore me. And allow me to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, I pray for our church as we are called out into the neighborhoods and places and spaces that you've planted us. Allow us to be ambassadors of your kingdom. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Blessings, church.